Episode 3240 of the Survival Podcast. If you're tracking it by Bitcoin Breakouts, episode 33. What are we going to talk about today? Well, no special guest today. It'll be a Just Jack episode. I'll be breaking down some things that are going on in the world of Bitcoin and things that I see coming up in the world of Bitcoin. I'll be addressing some media coverage lately and some FUD and more FUD and then a little more FUD after that. Should be a good episode and a kind of general discussion on where we are right now as Bitcoiners, if you are one, why you might want to join us if you're not. And uh, I just thought it'd be a good kind of change of pace. I did move the breakout to Thursday this week because we had an amazing special guest talking about biochar on uh, on Tuesday, which is our normal day for breakout. So that's why that happened. And uh, ironically, I think there is a good fit between biochar production and Bitcoin mining. And maybe we'll even talk about that a little bit today. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and recognize our two sponsors of the day before we get going on this. Sponsor of the day number one is John Pugliano with the Wealth Studying Podcast. If you want to learn how to grow your wealth the way that you might grow a permaculture system or a garden, you need to check out what John Pugliano is all about. What I love about John is when he decided he wanted to go into the world of being an investment manager, The very first thing he did was make himself into a self-made investment millionaire. He did that while he maintained his, you know, blue collar, upper upper level, blue, white collar ish. Is there a word for like it's a blue collar, white collar job, like a light blue collar, whatever uh, job and uh, did that for himself before he took on the idea that he would manage wealth for clients. He also does this amazing podcast. It's short in bits a few times a week called the Wealth Studying Podcast. You can learn more at WealthStudying.com. And, of course, you can find it on Fountain.fm, and you can even give John a little value for value with some to- Satoshis uh, through that. Uh, next up today, BulkAmmo.com. And I, I, I keep telling Dustin over there, you just need to use my promotional line as your strap line. BulkAmmo.com. Because a gun without ammo is an expensive club. That's why you need BulkAmmo.com. You can't do anything with a gun that a gun is meant to do without ammo. You can't train with it fully effectively. You can do some dry fire training and all, but you need to once in a while be putting some lead down range. You can't defend your home with it and you can't put food on the table with it. Those are the things that guns are really all about. Training so you'll be effective, feeding the family, protecting the family, the home and the neighborhood. All of those require ammo or you have a very expensive, cool looking club and nothing more. Anyway, check them out today. BulkAmmo.com. Lightning fast shipping right to your door. Great pricing. Good stuff. All right, guys. So real quick reminder before we get going here, I will never contact you for any personal information anywhere online in any kind of comments or anything like that. Not in the video platforms we're on today. It will not happen on Instagram. I will not tell you here I'm on a backup account. None of that shit is real. It's all fake. It's all people trying to scam you, pretending to be me. If you want to communicate with me, you know, I do answer Twitter DMs. I'll say that. You better make sure you look at my account with my little blue check mark that Elon got me for eight bucks. Woo! Uh, but the best thing would be to email me. How do you email me? If you can't figure it out, I don't know that you qualify for me to respond to your email, uh, but it's the best way to go. It's jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSPC in the subject line. And with that, let's go ahead and cruise on into this episode of Bitcoin Breakout. 
Um, I want to start off with something. A lot of people are getting really excited. A little bit of FOMO is creeping in. There's a thing called the fear greed index, and it's well on the other side of 50 now. Right before this big market crash, the bear market of 2022, it was down at like a nine to give you an idea of the, the it's a sentiment meter. It doesn't really indicate what's going to happen, but it has a pretty good correlation. And so when you see Bitcoin start to go up, this is what I've been talking about all through this bear market. What I've been saying, you should be buying Bitcoin now. This is the accumulation trough zone. So now we had Bitcoin make a run from like 15, 16K bouncing around in there up to like 24K today. And that happened relatively quickly, which is normal with Bitcoin. I'm not saying don't buy any Bitcoin today. I never say don't buy any Bitcoin today. What I am saying is you need to relax and don't think like Bitcoin's going to go from 24K today to 159K tomorrow to $500 million like three weeks from now. There is a cycle in all of this, okay? There always has been. It's mathematically designed into the equation, and it all runs around the halving, right? That Every four years, give or take a couple of weeks, the amount of Bitcoin being produced in each block gets cut in half. And we are right where we are in performance based on historical metrics where you would expect us to be. That doesn't mean within, you know, 0.01%. That means just the general overall performance, the volatility, everything that's going on. It looks exactly like the last couple halvings. And you know why? Because math doesn't lie. And so there is a large deficit in time between now and your next all-time high. And I'm going to talk about that from a standpoint of a couple things. One, what often happens when people see this initial run up and if we're a little bit past the midpoint of the halving, we're going to have our next halving. We're well past midpoint, actually. We're 13 months out. So you should see strong performance leading all the way up to and after that halving. And, and again, just for maybe people that are new to Bitcoin, what I'm saying is every 10 minutes, on the blockchain, a new block is verified, a new block of transactions. And there's two sources of revenue that miners get for doing this. One is fees. It's a fairly small percentage. And the other is if you find the block, you split the reward. Well, that reward gets cut in half every four years. So that supply shock is known and built into the equation. And traders play on it, et cetera. And the retail investors chase the traders. Okay. And this is what happens all the time. I, I've talked about it, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, my nephew, who I'd been to, who does well for himself with income, they're a self self uh, directed business. Uh, he and my, I guess, niece in law is what you'd call her. They do really well. I said, you guys need to be taking some of this wealth that you're generating online and putting it into Bitcoin. And if nothing else, since you sell stuff online and you take payments online, and like me, you sell almost all soft product, meaning you have no real cost of delivery then you need to like accept payments in Bitcoin, if nothing else. And they hadn't done it. And then the whole Elon thing and Michael Saylor and the big run up happened. And then they called me and said, how do I buy Bitcoin? How do I buy Bitcoin? And I do, even if it's a good time to buy, and I think now is, I think if you're buying with that mentality, you will, it will only lead to misery because you will spend more than you feel comfortable with. And then you will be, does anybody remember the movie Boiler Room? And this is not my opinion. This is just from the movie, okay? 
the, the, the guys are basically hustlers pretending to be stockbrokers and they're in a boiler room, a telemarketing operation. They're selling these penny stocks. It's all a scam. They don't know it. But I won't say the exact line, but the idea is that you never pitch the woman. You always pitch the guy. And the one younger new guy says, well, why? And he said, because if you, if you sell to a woman, she's going to watch the stock every single day. And if it goes, if it goes down at all, she's going to call you freaking out. And it's even worse if it goes up, then you can't get her off the phone. She wants to keep talking about it. Right. And, uh, he said, if you sell it to a guy, we're selling to high net worth individuals here. This kind of investment's a small amount. He doesn't even worry about it. Like it pays off or it doesn't. And you don't want to, so you don't want to be that first person. And that's the person who goes and buys $500 worth of Bitcoin. Let's be honest. If it goes up 10% or down 10%, it's irrelevant. But they start tracking movements of 1% and they start actually worrying about them. They start getting really excited. It went up 3%. Okay, so you made 15 bucks that you haven't realized the gain on because you haven't sold it. And this should be long-term forever holdings anyway. And you should be stacking more and more. Or it goes down and they get upset. And I had to sell it because I thought I was going to. All that crazy shit happens when people FOMO in. And if you're in my audience especially, there should be no FOMOing in. This should be, this is an obvious, logical, logistical long play. And your first goal should be to become a whole coiner, which means get at least one full Bitcoin in your possession. And if that starts at buying at $20 a week and you think that'll never get you there, I'll just point out I had Nicole Sauce on yesterday and one of her big macro goals in life set five years ago, become a whole coiner. And she just last week became a whole coiner. And when she started, she literally had to scrape for each week 20 bucks to put into Bitcoin. So you can do it. And the best way to do it is with a DCA model. That's a dollar cost averaging model. That means you say, hey, I'm willing to put 20 bucks a weekend, 100 bucks a month, 50 bucks every two weeks, whatever it is, and set up an auto buy or set up, if you don't want to do it completely automated, you set up where you have a reminder and it says, hey, today's the day to buy some of some Bitcoin. And what I've always done is kind of a modified DCA, which means I have regular investments to go into Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin takes a tremendous drop, I double at least that buy that week. And if I double it because I pulled it in the next week and I don't have extra capital, that's okay. And that's why I do mine manually. I don't have it automatically on a DCA. Or if I have extra capital around, I'll throw it on it and I'll just do the next buy. And if you do that across time, you're not trying to beat the system. You're playing the system as it's designed. And I don't know a person who's done that for five years that hasn't won in a big way. So every person I know that's dollar cost average into Bitcoin across five years from any point starting to any point ending always won 100% of the time. Most people that fancy themselves able to trade the market, know when to buy, puts and calls, shorts and longs on Bitcoin, all this shit, most people that do that lose. And the God's honest truth is if you're that person, you're probably not listening to this podcast. You're too busy monitoring your trades to listen to this podcast. There are people that make a lot of money doing this, but unless that's your thing and you're 100% dedicated to it and you can still lose, there are only 1% of people that play the game that win doing that. But 100% of people that play the game long in DCA win. 
So that's I, if I have to explain more than that as to why that should be the approach, I don't know. Go ahead and buy some shit coins because that's probably what you're going to do next. Well, I did okay on Bitcoin, but the next Bitcoin is we'll get to that later. The next Bitcoin is already here and it's Bitcoin. It's just the form of it. We'll talk about it and it'll make sense when I do. Um, and if you are focused on the right time preference here, if you're thinking about how much in dollars you will have in Bitcoin next month, if that's your metric of success, then you are not in the right time preference for this. You're not, you're in a, an investment that is notoriously good across time, but no, notoriously volatile in the short term, sometimes shooting up a hundred percent in a couple days and sometimes dropping 50% in a couple days. And it's just how it happens. Uh, Michelle, 1776, is working on my second jerk. That's good for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we have somebody here that's made the whole coiner, and their goal is to become a whole coiner twice. And so that's that's where I'm at in this. Like My goal every year is to try to add another whole coin every year at this point. Don't always do it. Didn't do it last year. Got close. Got close. Keep building. Keep stacking across time. If you become a whole coiner, you have one twenty-one millionth of all Bitcoin that will ever exist. And as it continues to expand and do more and be more a part of the global economy, the, the bigger a deal that is. Anyway, the next altcoin doesn't matter if you have this time horizon. And what I mean by that is whenever I go to some kind of event or workshop or something and I'm sitting around listening to people talk, and that's something I do more than, than, than talk is listen to what other people are saying, not to me, but to each other. The case I always hear being made for Ethereum, which is the mother asshole from which all shit coins spawn or any of these other coins is, you know, Bitcoin is always going to be the dominant player. But I think there's more upside on this. I think there's more room for growth on this, etc. It isn't that you can't pick one and make some money on it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that almost everybody who does it ends up in the long run losing. And if they they always say, well, my best profits forever. But when you really drill down to it, if they had just bought, built, bought and held Bitcoin over a five-year period, they'd be ahead. They'd be ahead. And so, again, it's about this time preference. And, and the altcoin story has become less powerful, not more powerful across time. This is something really important to understand about not just Bitcoin. Markets, segments, businesses, etc. Once the power of a company's product offering, once the size of its customer base begins to decline, once the power of its story begins to decline, it's almost inevitable that it's going to go into a tailspin and it cannot survive and it will be destroyed. Right. So this is why VC companies like to buy new companies that are unproven. Versus proven companies on hard times. You ever notice that like big money VCs don't go in and fix screwed companies? They buy companies on the way up while the story's strong, even if the product offering sucks. They know they can make money on the initial growth. They can dump their position. And if it transcends into a long-term hold, fine. But they don't go into companies on the down. Companies that, that, that do that 
They harvest bones, they write it to the ground, and they take what they can out of the assets. Almost nobody's in the business of buying a company on a decline and trying to fix it. Because once that decline starts, it, it's almost always terminal. Well, the story of why we need altcoins keeps becoming more and more and more and more terminal. We need it for this. We need it for that. We need faster transactions. Okay, we have lightning. We need cheaper transactions. Okay, we have lightning. No, but it's not the same. It doesn't need to be the same. It's faster. It's quicker. It's more efficient. It doesn't just move Bitcoin. It can also move dollars or pounds or yen. We have lightning. We don't need that. And about the only thing left, right, because most of the altcoins, if you look at them that are the top performing altcoins or the Ethereum killers, they only exist for people to spawn more altcoins. So you have something like Cosmos, which is interesting technology. I'll give you that. But what is the purpose of it? So that you can roll out your own new shit coin. And if you take away all the shit coins that run on Ethereum, what does Ethereum do? If you take away all the shit coins that run on Cosmos, what does Cosmos do? If you take away all the shit coins that run on Polkadot, what does Polkadot do? When they say, well, it's better technology. Better technology, for it's like when people say better, well, I want to move to this district because they have better schools. Well, better at what? Programming your children? Well, this these are really fast on smart contracts. Smart contracts for what? Trading other shit coins back and forth? You know, creating decentralized exchanges, which sounds like a great idea, but what are you exchanging? A bunch of shit coins? What do they do? Very few of these altcoins ever did the thing that they said they were going to do. In fact, 99% of them are dead that have ever been created. So if you are in the right time preference, which is I'm looking out 10 years, then the next altcoin doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Questions should be in all caps, by the way, guys, because when I'm by myself, I can only watch out of my one good eye both sides of the equation here. So I do have a couple already set in the queue for questions. So if you're in the live stream, all caps for your first couple words, and I'll do what I can to answer cues. Anyway, um, I also want to talk about something else that's going on, and I've got a lot of emails about this, and people are really freaked out. Oh, my God, it's happening again. Prime Trust. So Prime Trust is a crypto assets custodian and payments network entity. What does that mean? That means that when you go to a company like Swan Bitcoin, which is a fantastic, fantastic company, love Swan, and you're buying and holding Bitcoin, that since Swan didn't want to go through the bullshit, basically, to obtain a money handling license in all 50 states. They went to a company that said, hey, we do that. And Swan said, okay, so we pay you a fee and you act as a financial custodian, which means they're managing because people are like, well, that means it's custodial. Yeah, don't hold on an exchange. Swan teaches that. I teach that. Relax. We'll get there if you're new. Okay. But at some point, your money has to be in somebody else's custody if you're using an exchange. Most people that buy on exchanges, they have fiat dollars or they're in another country. They have fiat euros or fiat pounds or fiat pesos or whatever, and they have to deposit it. Then they have to convert it. And then until they withdraw that that Bitcoin, it's in somebody else's custody. 
It's a custodial solution. So even if you're me, even if you're as soon as you buy, get it off, there has to be a custodial moment in there, which I don't worry about because I'm not doing $10 million Bitcoin buys. You know, I'm buying 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 500 bucks is a big buy for me. I'm buying it. I'm waiting for the, the thing to close and I'm withdrawing it. So I don't and that's a big, big part of why I don't care about all this. Anyway, Prime Trust was basically operating that way on behalf of quite a few crypto and Bitcoin exchanges. They do crypto and Bitcoin, not just Bitcoin, even though some of their customers are Bitcoin only. Two of those that I talk about all the time are Stripe, Stri I'm sorry, Strike and um, uh, Swan, right? Swan Bitcoin. So this is really not relevant to your life if you practice what I teach. So what do I teach about Bitcoin exchanges? Have more than one. So if, if there's a dip and there's a problem and you can't use one to buy, you can use the other one to buy. So everybody out there that listens to me and does what I teach should have accounts with at least two Bitcoin exchanges if you routinely want to buy Bitcoin for cash. So it's irrelevant at that point. The, the, the second thing is this did not affect anybody's ability to withdraw Bitcoin. You have the Bitcoin world and you have the fiat world and prime trust exists to allow that interaction. So there's no government anywhere that can effectively tell anybody you can't allow a Bitcoin transaction. You could try, but you will fail. It's irrelevant. It's also geo-independent, right? Where I am has no impact on my ability to do a Bitcoin transaction. So if you were using Swan, and I think Fold as well. Fold is all, was also using Prime Trust or is using Prime Trust. And this only affects Texas residents. But if you're on Swan and you're holding Bitcoin, you haven't withdrawn yet. Or if you have some Bitcoin in fold, this only affects the Bitcoin you purchase, okay, in the fold app, not Bitcoin that you earn. It doesn't affect anything about earning Bitcoin back on your, your card swipes or whatever. You can still withdraw it. So it's irrelevant because what do I teach? Buy it, withdraw it, self-custody. Yeah. If you don't know how to self-custody, go listen to the episode I did two episodes ago on how to self-custody. Just go to the BitcoinBreakout.com and scroll down and look for the episode on self-custody. There's a whole article as well there, right? So that is that is not relevant. It's just an inconvenience. Now, Strike, Jack Maulers has put aside a significant war chest for legal issues. He expects to be challenged in Congress by Jamie Dimon through the regulatory process rather than than than, you know, Diamond and his ilk actually try to provide a better customer experience. And because of that, he has a really great war chest. So all Strike did was say, well, you know what? We'll just get a money handling license for Texas ourselves. So Strike's already turned it back on. Prime Trust says they are going to reapply swiftly, whatever the hell that means, in Texas so that that issue can go away. So it's going to be up to companies like Abra, like Fold, like Swan to decide, are we going to wait? Are we going to do it ourselves or are we going to go find another custodian to handle this piece of the understand? It's only a piece. But if you if you self custody, it's irrelevant. Even if you don't, in this case, it's irrelevant. And if it's just I want to buy more and I can't. Well, you just need to have more than one account. That's why I recommend more than one account. 
And I, again, I love Strike. Strike is so much more than just a place to buy Bitcoin. It is, it is going to be one of the most dominant payment networks in the world. It really is. And it's part of why I'm so excited about Bitcoin as well. All right. Next up, I want to talk about some, I guess I would call the memes in the crypto and Bitcoin worlds, things that people come up with, things that basically when people say them, my response is, yeah, you're one of those people that shouldn't talk to other people ever because you're capable of saying something as though you know what you're talking about. But the thing that you're saying tells any informed person that you're an idiot. So I got two of those for you in this episode. The first one is, and this is big amongst Bitcoin maximalists, and I consider myself at this point a maximalist, but there's a lot of Bitcoin maximalists that they also call themselves plebs. Many of them have been around for like 15 minutes, maybe 15 weeks, maybe on a long end, 15 months. They don't really know a lot. They're young. They're mostly male. They went all in over the top because Bitcoin is hope. They heard somebody like Michael Saylor and they become Bitcoin blind. So one thing to be a maximalist, which basically means I am for the full and rapid implementation of Bitcoin on a global scale as, as swiftly and efficiently as possible. And when it comes to the space that people call crypto, I'm pretty much locked on Bitcoin. And that's it. That's what I do. Right. That's that's one version of a maximalist. And another version of a maximalist is I will sell my dog to buy more Bitcoin and it's only Bitcoin and all my eggs are in the Bitcoin basket forever. And that's it. These people will probably end up selling a lot of their Bitcoin when they freak out during some major downturn. The only good news for a lot of them is they did come into this at this stage where they're kind of at a market bottom, but they're generally setting themselves up for failure. And so they have to shit on anything that could be called an investment that's not Bitcoin in some way. And they're also, because they're in an age bracket in their 20s and low 30s, most of them are not homeowners. Even though they found Bitcoin, they're still operating from a poverty mindset. And they can never see themselves actually owning real estate, which is actually one of the easiest goals to achieve in the United States, even right now. It's, it's, it's not like it was three years ago. But it's still it's easier to become a real estate owner and a real estate investor specifically in the United States than just about any other country in the world. And the whole system is set up to be tax advantaged as well. But what do they say? Real estate is shit coin. And then they say stupid shit because you'll never own your house because when you have to pay property taxes, that's like rent. If this is you, you shouldn't talk to people. Not about real estate anyway. You don't know what you're talking about. You got to live somewhere. Maybe you live in my rental property and you pay my property tax for me because I'm not stupid. And maybe I make cash flow every month off that rental property from your money and pay no tax on it because I know how to work the system. And maybe something that works that way is not a shitcoin. You see how quickly that falls apart. Even just being a homeowner, if you do it right, is a tremendous advantage over being a renter. Again, if you do it right, if you buy at the top of the market and ridiculously over, ridiculously overpriced uh, real estate market, and you are at the edge of being able to service the debt in the first place, and anything goes wrong, that's stupid. But that's that's tactic versus technique, which I'm big on. A technique is the ownership of real property. The tactic is the means by which you do so. 
and how it fits into everything else that you do. So when you hear somebody say something like real estate, you'll never own your house, whatever. These people are the same types of people and maybe even in some cases the same people that when I teach about gardening and preparedness, they say, well, I don't want a garden. If you stop there, that's fine. Not everybody wants everything. But no, they have to keep having diarrhea of the mouth. And the next thing they say is, because when the shit hits the fan, everybody's just going to come steal my stuff. How about we apply that to everything else you own? Then then you shouldn't even have an apartment with stuff in it. Because when the shit hits the fan, everybody's just going to come tear your door down and take everything that you own. What this is is typical excuse-making mentality. Since I don't see this in my future, I'm going to take a crap on it and tell everybody else doing it that's far more successful than me, by the way, that it's stupid. So that's one. The other one, this is less of a Bitcoin maximalist thing. This is more of a shitcoiner maximalist thing. This is more the special little children that still believe that Craig Wright is the real Satoshi. Um that are, or are still, uh, you know, uh, genuflecting and bowing to the great grifter that is Roger Ver. So it's mostly out of the Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin Satoshi vision worlds that this comes from. But a lot of shit coiners in general do this one, too. They, fl- they, they try to, and it's just a very important thing that you are not deceived by this, especially as a new Bitcoiner. Well, Bitcoin's not really decentralized. Well, I can prove it. So I pull up a pie graph. It'll show the largest Bitcoin mining pools and what percentage of hash power. And at any given time, two of them together might even creep over 51%. Well, that's a magic number to do a, an attack and, 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 and to take over the Bitcoin chain. See? And, it, and all the time right now, three of them to combine will be well over 51%. Well, those three pools could just collude, you see, and they could change the blockchain. They could corrupt Bitcoin. They control Bitcoin. They have a mathematical number that says they are in charge. See, just these two or three people have more than 50% of the hash power in the Bitcoin network. Okay, this is telling me that you don't know how mining works and who miners are and how miners operate without saying it. This means you've never mined and you don't know how this works. So a pool is just a place where people do exactly that. They pool their hash power. But every individual miner still maintains control over their mining equipment, their ASICs, right? Their mining rigs, however you want to call it. I generally call them ASICs because what they are. Mining rigs has a different connotation, but a lot of people still use that term, right? A lot of people still use that term. And fine. But, you know, if I have mining rigs, I'm not saying I do, but if I do, they may be at my home. They may be co-located in a computer network central office type facility. It could be either way. If they're co-located, I'm paying a bill to have them protected there and powered there. If they're in my home, then I'm paying the electric bill and I'm maintaining them myself. Then there's the pool. And the pool generally would have nothing to do even with a co-located facility. Like the pool's not there. The pool's distributed where all the miners are. So Billy decides he wants to go into mining today. He gets a few ASICs, maybe a little older models, but they still work. Fires them up in his garage, uses the heat to make beef jerky or something, and starts mining. And he jumps in the pool ABCD, right? So he's not there with them, and they don't control his equipment. 
Or maybe somebody like me mines with a, a company that uses flare gas. So I, I source my equipment and my co-location from that company. But I still choose whatever pool that I mine with. I choose which version of code that I take up and 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 run with if there's a fork the, the the entire idea that the pool itself has the power is asinine if there was one pool and i don't think there ever would be there i i have maybe some concern but if there were three i have zero concern because anybody at any time with a few keystrokes can switch any or all of their mining equipment to a different pool. This is the kind of thing. This is working on a deuce coiner. I thought it said dunce cover. <laughs> I thought it was making fun of it. But yeah, um, this is and this is big among uh, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. Which, by the way, their hash power is so low right now. I think if you went to a landfill and uncovered a few Commodore 64s and a few Intellivisions, for those of you that can go back that far. You could wire them together in 51% attack, uh, their pathetic excuse of a blockchain. So those are just two dumb things that you need to know about. Next up is, I want to, I've hit this a few times, but I want to hit this again for people that maybe are new to me that are coming in through the Bitcoin breakout solo feed, where it's just Bitcoin stuff. You found it. So he said, Hey, listen to this guy. He's got a different take on Bitcoin or something. But I have noticed, and the reason I even created Bitcoin breakout, this incredible overlap. People get into Bitcoin and then they take a second step. And that step is often homesteading, uh, going more of a carnivore diet, starting to work out. It's a change in their diet, their medicine. They get involved with alternative energy. They start looking to go off grid or partially off grid, what have you. And I want to talk about why that happens? What is the cause? Why is there this, this nexus of overlap? And I, I think it's very simple. The greatest lie that's ever been told to humanity in order to exhibit control upon them is the lie of the monetary system that we have today. Most people in this audience are not going to be shocked at what I, I'm about to say. But most people in the country would be. The government does not print money. Private banks print money, and it is enforced by government. That is, and I think a lot of us who have passed through that, maybe prior to even, prior to Bitcoin existing, I knew that. And many of us, because we've done that, maybe, you know, I'm 50 years old, and I was probably in my mid-20s when somebody sat me down and explained the fiat monetary system to me. So that's two and a half decades of having this knowledge. So you lose sight of how earth shattering this information is. It is the, it is the true, you know, red pill unplugging from the matrix to understand that your money is created at will through the issuance of debt. And it can be inflated and deflated on demand by the banks, not the government. And it can be done in such a way that if you had all your money in a safe in your house in $20 bundles, that they can literally decide, we just want to take 3% of everybody's money 
And you think, ah, my money is safe. It's in the, it's in the safe, literally, right? That they can't get yours. But the act of inflation itself is literally sucking value from your money that you've set aside. People know it intrinsically because they're sold on you have to invest. You have to have a 401k. You have to put your wealth at risk to mitigate inflation. But they don't make the connection as to what that means. They don't understand the Cantillon effect, right? They don't understand the people closest to the money faucet are selling the money back to you at a profit. Imagine being able to sell money at a profit. That's what banks do. That's what these high-tier firms do that are close to the faucet. And so you know that, and you're like, yeah, scum, right? Fix the money, fix the world. That's a, that's a meme in Bitcoin for a reason. But imagine the person who doesn't come to Bitcoin because they know that. They come to Bitcoin, and then they learn that. They become exposed. They come into Bitcoin because number go up, good, make money, YOLO. My bro got some Bitcoin. I bought some Dogecoin. And it worked out because of Elon, and then I had some extra money, and my buddy told me, like, quit playing with these shit coins and buy some. So I bought some Bitcoin, and now I need to understand it. Or however that path went, that person, they listened to a podcaster who they trusted. He said, hey, buy some Bitcoin, and they got a Coinbase account way back in the day, and they bought, like, five Bitcoin. Forgot about it. One day woke up and went, holy shit, that person, and anywhere in that spectrum. That person who then says, I need to understand this and uncovers how the, the modern monetary system of fractional reserve banking works. Think about the moment you figured that out and you believed it. You didn't just hear it, but you believed it and you took in its implications. Greatest lie we have ever sold to people from a standpoint of being able to control them, because the easiest way to control people is through economics. Well, what if they're hungry? I can control your hunger, your ability to access food through economics. And I can do it at more than a personal level. I can use economics to crush a supply at a national level or redirect a supply at a national level. I can use economics to start wars. I can use economics to prevent wars, though it's seldom done. I can use economics to declare war without firing a shot and win the battle. Economics is the ultimate weapon. And the person digs into that and goes, holy shit. The next logical question is what? What else have I been lied to about? And now that I'm building this wealth, what are the threats to this wealth? You take people who, who were the person that says real estate's a shit coin, always rent, never buy, you'll never. That person finally has a thing worth defending. And then they find out, basically, I just have to remember 12 words and it's completely defensible and you can't get it. Well, then they start thinking about building more in their, okay, well, I now I have a thing. And this is what I love about Bitcoin. It switches the mind on for people. It gives them hope. I have a thing that's mine that can't be taken away. I, and you know what? That, that feels good. I want more. So as they start to build a life, they stop bitching and whining and crying about the man's keeping them down and they start building a life. And they want to defend it. What else have I been lied about? And how do I defend what I have? And so you start to think to yourself, since I'm now thinking, since I've actually turned my brain on. Well, health insurance is not health care. And I have I, I get people get mad at me when I say that. But no one has ever, ever been able to make an argument to me with logic and reason that health insurance is health care. 
any more that car insurance is transportation, any more that homeowners insurance is housing. It's insurance. So you start saying, wait, well, if that's a lie, then what's the solution to health? Well, maybe it would be for health care to cost less. Okay, I can't fix that. I can't fix health care for everybody. What can I do for me? How can I make my burden cost of maintaining my health lower? Well, I can obviously start by being healthy, right? And when you're young, if you're not a fatty when you're young, you can eat a lot of shit you shouldn't, and you still think you're healthy. But as you start to actually examine what that means, you start to say to yourself, self, if they lied about money, why would they lie about diet? And then you figure out real quick that the best diet for humans, you think I'm going to say is carnivore or keto, right? It just happens to be that's a really great one. But the best diet for humans is a fully natural diet. Shit that doesn't come in boxes. Shit that doesn't come in foil wrappers and bags. It's it's stuff like that. That is where the root of health is, is in diet. So then if you start down that path, there's a very good chance with all the things we know today, you're going to end up somewhere in the low-carb, keto, carnivore space. Well, now I need more meat, and I don't want meat from a CAFO because, gee, the vegans weren't lying when they said what we do to animals is shit. So what do they do? They start figuring out, well, I need grass-fed beef. Now they're shaking a rancher's hand. Now they're finding Texas Slim and, and getting to be involved with the beef initiative or something like that. And then they say, well, maybe I could order, raise some of my own food. And some are able to find enough land. They can run a small herd or do some pastured poultry or pork or something like that or, or sheep for lambs. But a lot just say, hey, you know what? I'm happy to buy better beef, but I want to be able to grow my own food. So then they start learning how to garden. You start learning how to garden. It's not going to be long before you realize that permaculture is the way to do everything. So then they come into the permaculture world. Now they're asking, well, wait a minute. I need to make sure that they can't just shut my power off. So we start looking at backup power. We start looking at solar power. We start looking about alternative power generation. And then this mindset is going to lead someone into builder's mentality. So that's why there's this logical progression also into entrepreneurship. As long as I'm working for somebody else, they're taking a portion of my wealth in return for my work for them. That's a totally fair deal, by the way. If I employ you, yes, I am making a profit on you. I don't exist so that you can have a job. But if you are a smart enough person, and this is why you will always have a hard time building a business on employees. Your best employees will 90% or more of the time leave you to do something on their own. Because if they're that capable, they'll figure it out. There are a rare number of people. They're your top 10% of employees across the board. They know full well they could do it on their own. They like the deal. They consciously took the deal. They know they don't have to take the deal, but they take the deal because it's just easier and it fits their life. But most people that are that good will break out and do something on their own. So now they're in entrepreneurship. Now they're in a tax strategy. And this is the synergy. And does it go in that progression? It doesn't have to. Sometimes a person comes into something like permaculture, regen ag, 
figures out how to do something like run a greenhouse, like we talked about with the Azola show last week. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, by the way. Why well, I think that guy's onto something, but not the thing that he should be onto. Figures out if I have this excess energy source, then I could use the excess energy to mine Bitcoin when I don't have anything else to do with the excess energy, and I make the overall going concern more profitable. So they come into Bitcoin that way. But all of these components lead to the same place because they're all around innate humanity. It is innately human that I and Dennis, who is here right now in um, our chat. Hey, Dennis, how you doing, bro? But is it innately human that Dennis and I may want to do business with each other, that Dennis may have a thing that I don't have and I would like to have it. And I don't have a thing that Dennis wants that's of equal value. So we need a means by which to transact and take my energy, my thermal energy that I have expended my life force into, that I've stored in some form, dollars, yen, Bitcoin, yeah, and transfer it to him. And that that be a transaction where he can know for a fact it's not fake, it's, it's not counterfeit, it's real, it's accountable, and it can go out and be used somewhere else to get what he wants. That's innately human. It's also innately human to want to know where my food comes from. It's innately human to want to build a community. It's innately human to say, hey, that's not yours. Don't take it from that person. He didn't do anything wrong. In other words, the non-aggression principle is innately human. When we see somebody having things taken from them, we generally say, hey, stop that. And that natural instinct is used and twisted on us by the Jeet Kune Do of the state to make it rich people are bad. It's okay to steal from them. They're bad. Right? And the people poorer than you, they're also stealing from you. Class Warfare 101. But Bitcoin cuts through that bullshit like a surgeon's scalpel. And once it cuts and parts the curtain, that the man behind the curtain stands behind, the guy in the Emerald City, if you don't know what freaking The Wizard of Oz was really about, the slippers in the original book were silver. The road was gold. It led to the Emerald City, and the man behind the curtain who had no real power was the, 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 the ruler of the green. Once you part that curtain and you see the man behind the curtain has no power, then you seek power for yourself and you realize the power you want isn't over others, but over your own life. This is the most insightful thing I've learned about Bitcoin going back. I started in Bitcoin in 2013. I think I actually bought my first Bitcoin in 2012. But I actually started to do the work to understand in 2013. And in all that time, this is the most important revelation that I've had. That it is the surgeon's scalpel into the view of truth. And once truth is understood intrinsically at any level, then the person who understands it seeks it in all things. And this is why this country is so easy to control. Because if you can sell a lie as truth, then every other lie that attaches to that lie will be easily accepted. And every lie that attaches to that lie, when you have three truncated level, levels of attached to lies, you have a, a country of enslaved fools who will defend the people who are their slave masters to their own death. There's one way out right now. It's not Bitcoin. It's truth. Bitcoin is just a truth that will lead to all these other truths. We can feed ourselves. 
We can set up our own economies. The healthcare problem is more a sick problem than a care problem. We control that. We are the reason that there's more dialysis clinics than subway restaurants right now. That's us. We did that. We made that choice. We were led there, but we made that choice. Once you make one choice out from any of these places, the path will lead to all of them in time. Which leads me to my next thing. You preppers that maybe gave the show a chance, my holdouts in my audience. My shows on Bitcoin get 30 to 40% of downloads on the audio side that my shows that are not on Bitcoin get. My worst performing non-Bitcoin shows do more than twice as good as my best performing Bitcoin shows. And why? Preppers don't choice trust Bitcoin. Everything I just said is why preppers should be the first in, not last in a Bitcoin. Bitcoin's about energy. Preppers value energy. Preppers come up with the most ridiculous bullshit excuses I have ever heard for why they're not going to have Bitcoin. The number one excuse preppers have is, well, the government's just going to ban it. Okay, Tex? Yeah? How'd you know my name? Ah, I knew your name, bro. Anyway, Tex, do you own guns? Yeah. Okay, Tex, is the government been trying to ban guns since before the Second Amendment was even written? Yeah. Do you own guns? Well, yeah. So the government wants to ban guns? Yeah. Do you see where I'm going? No, because Tex hasn't made the leap yet. By the way, I'm allowed to say that. I've been living in Texas since 1993. Uh, I wasn't born here, but got here as quick as I could. And I'm not making fun of Texas. I'm just saying that's our that's our archetype te- prepper. Well, I'm going to own guns. Well, what if they ban guns? Well, I'm not giving up my guns. My guns will still work whether they ban them or not. God, you're so close. Just keep going, bro. Bitcoin doesn't need your permission to work, and it doesn't need the state's permission to work. It's been doing what it's supposed to do since it was initiated, it is the largest and most secure, I didn't say private, the largest, most secure network humans have ever built. It is completely decentralized and it it works like clockwork because it was designed like a clock. It ain't going nowhere. And we are going to need a means to do business with each other more and more on our own. And the reason that you own guns is to defend yourself locally, but it's also because the mere presence of about 55 million people in this country owning guns is a a real dissuasion to the people in power going too far with tyranny. And all you have to do is look at any country that doesn't have that, which is most of them, and see how much faster tyranny rolls. This is why they've been programming your children to uh, reject guns. They don't just want the voting to shift because the last vestiges of the republic still exist to a degree, and the voting itself can only do so much. That is a hallmark of the type of republic we have. They want to take the next generation and the next generation and keep making gun ownership less and less a thing. They, they, they're, they're okay with the person that says, well, I think people should be allowed to own a gun, but they're scary, and I don't want one because... I don't think I should have one because it's easy to ban things people don't own. And it's easy to take things from people by force when they don't have a means to resist you. So if you're afraid that they're going to ban Bitcoin, what is the best solution? 
get as many people on the Bitcoin train as possible and teach them how to self-custody so that what they think doesn't matter. Anyway, I could keep going, but there's there's never been a form of property that is easier to secure than Bitcoin ever. That's also as transferable as Bitcoin is from one party to another without a third party. It's never existed until now. That alone is why preppers should be all over Bitcoin and quit making your excuses because you don't want to learn a new thing or you're afraid to learn a new thing, or you have a picture of Peter Schiff that you pray to on your wall, or whatever the hell it is. Let go of it. Anyway, moving on. Bitcoin is also, in my opinion, the largest freedom movement that the world has ever known. I won't say ever will know, because I don't predict future things. I tell you what I think is going to happen, but predictions are different than this is what I think. Um, and predicting something across the entirety of human existence is something only the most narcissistic asshole would ever do. I ain't that bad. But I think up to this point, it is the absolute biggest movement for freedom. There is big part of it is that big soliloquy I gave you on how it leads to all these other truths. The most important thing you can do for freedom and liberty is open minds to truth. The ability to think like a free human requires the ability to discern truth from fiction. As long as someone else under any sort of implied authority can tell you a lie that you will believe solely because of their implied authority, you are not free. Even if they happen to tell you the truth most of the time. Because you've been robbed of the ability to determine truth through your own logic and reason. And through your own form of education. You also, if you are not allowed the ability to determine truth and only to accept truth when it comes from an authority, you are also denied the right and the ability to know what to do with that truth. Do you understand how how important this is, folks? What I mean by it is if you are always getting your truth from somebody else, even if they don't lie about it, but they say, because you trust me, then you need to know that the truth means you need to do this thing, then you're still not free. You'll never know if you're being lied to, but you'll also never know if the advice given by the authority was the right thing for you at your point in life. Because Bitcoin unveils the truth about money and is real money and is the hardest form of money that's ever existed. It reveals the truth about human nature, human interaction and commerce and trade and communication. And when you have that, you have an individual who will now quest for truth at all times. This person is very difficult to enslave. Now, when there's one or two or three of them, all you do is round them up, throw them in a jail cell, tell all the dumbasses that they're dangerous, and leave them languish in a gulag or you execute them, whatever. But when you awaken even two or three percent of a population this way, the whole of the population will in time become completely ungovernable by anything that they don't willingly submit to, which was always the case. People just didn't know they were willingly submitting to your tyranny. But when they become aware that that's what they're doing, they start saying, you know what? I don't think I want to be governed this way today. We saw inklings of that in the great pandemic, right? There was a beach in California 
they kept writing tickets and chasing people off of it and all, and people just kept showing up in bigger and bigger numbers. And even in California, they gave up and they quit trying to close that beach. And the mayor of that city really, city literally said, I remember it in the report, the people here have decided that they don't want to be governed that way anymore. And I, I read that and my heart soared just a little bit. And then I got sad because I realized that in, right in front of people was the answer, but most weren't ready for it. But if we can make people understand that there is a viable alternative to store your wealth that is completely and totally defensible, that the entity as powerful as the United States government or the WEF or whatever, go ahead. You know what? You're right. I do have whatever number of Bitcoin. Whatever number of Satoshis. You're correct. I have it. There it is. We're taking it. Go ahead. Go get it. And they can't. Now, can they come after you individually? Sure. But can they go after millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people individually? Well, good luck with that. There is a reality to the people that run the world. They run the world based on the movement of the masses and they run the world on the aggregate average of what they can get done. They accept those trends, and then they actually take the things that they were opposed to, and they co-opt them, and they go ahead and go with the flow. Because the families that run the world have been around a while, they've been doing this a while, and they understand this. They understand that if I, if they understand, right, old, old cliche, pigs get fed, and hogs get slaughtered. And we think of them as giant hogs because they have so much, but they still have a significant amount of discipline. And, 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 and the way you know that is all the crazy conspiracy theories about what they want that have been around for 50 years are true. And they're not even close to what they want. They can't, you, you can't give these people credit for being hyper competent. And the state will always be inherently inefficient. And that's why states will rise and fall constantly. Even if they're called by the same name, they ain't the same. Run into any Romans lately. If you haven't studied history, you might not get my point there. Even within the United States, as we know it today, the United States, Canada, North and South America, Central America, prior to any European colonization that we think of Columbus afterward, there were great city-states that rose and fell with no invasion by Europeans over and over. The same political games. There were areas that were incredibly liberty-oriented, and there were areas... The northeastern United States, the, 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 the natives that lived there were nature's ultimate libertarians. They weren't quite anarchists, but they were nature's ultimate libertarians. Just into the southeast... The Native Americans that, that lived there were monarch, monarchies, city-states, and rife with slavery. And again, over and over, these different and dis diverging societies with no interference by the evil white guy from Europe rose and fell, had their own problems, their own political battles. And we should take comfort in that. The state is inherently weak because it will always be inherently inefficient because it will need to take things that are not true 
into its narrative and use force to maintain the illusion that a lie is the truth. It's, it has to do that because there's no way that any state could ever be 100% honest with its population and maintain control. You would truly have consent of the governed in that situation, and you would have basically an anarchy that most people that don't understand that word wouldn't understand what they were looking at. They wouldn't realize that's what it was. It would look a lot like governance, and it would be governance. It just wouldn't be government. There's a difference. You might want to learn that. Well, Bitcoin puts more people on that path than any other idea that's ever existed. And it's an idea that also works. It's an idea that also works. It is an idea that has come to fruition. It hasn't come to totality. Next up. The next Bitcoin. You know, one of the things that's basically a surrender from shitcoiners is the term the next Bitcoin. The next Bitcoin, man. I found it. The next Bitcoin. And what they want you to hearken back to is, hey, you know, if you could go back in time and buy a thousand Bitcoin, you'd be one of the wealthiest people in the world. And you could have done that for, oh, I don't know, not that long ago. You could have done it for a thousand bucks. Go far enough back, you could have done it for less. And today you could be one of the wealthiest people on the planet. So if you find the next Bitcoin, you can capitalize on that. But you notice they never say the next shit coin and invoke some other shit. They're like the next Dogecoin. You know, the next, it's always the next Bitcoin. That's because Bitcoin has been here since the beginning, ain't going nowhere while all these other clowns have rose and fell. And what it misses is the historical context and how Bitcoin became what it is, how it became the dominant monetary asset in the space and is on track to continue to eat away more and more of the global payments network and global capital markets. And that is that it was evangelized. Early adopters that understood what it really was. They weren't worried that it would go up and be worth a lot of money because they would have never did what they did. If they, most people who did this, if you, if they could go back in time would say, well, I'm glad I was part of it. But gee, if I would have just kept all the Bitcoin I had back then, then I would like buy Facebook and fire Mark Zuckerberg or some shit, right? Right. Or me, I'd be like, I would own Jackistan. And you wouldn't be able to come there without a passport unless you went to Jackistan. It's a dictatorship run by Jack, right? But without them, it wouldn't have happened. You can take any one of them out. But if you took, if they all just held their Bitcoin, it wouldn't have become what it is. And what they did is they went around and they said, hey, let me set you up with a wallet. And Bitcoin was like five bucks. And they gave people 10 big, 50 bucks if they were like a friend. Here's 10 Bitcoin. Start using it. And a lot of those people never did anything with it, but a lot of people did. And it became something that caught the imagination of those who had eyes to see. And a lot of those people, maybe they didn't do anything with it, but then they called their friend up and go, hey, you, I heard about this Bitcoin thing. I, I still got it on my phone. You gave me some back in the day. It's worth, this can't be right. This, this says it's worth $50,000. How do I get my $50,000? Things like that happened. So what's the next Bitcoin? What brings that back is the Lightning Network. Since I started using Lightning in earnest, which is a little over a year now, 
I've probably given away several hundred dollars or more in Bitcoin, five bucks here, 15 bucks there, a dollar, 50 cents, just to make a point. I'll go and say, hey, download a Lightning Wallet. Okay, look, here's five bucks. I'll do it with Strike so they can see it's in dollars. I have dollars. I don't have Bitcoin. Give me that invoice. Send green check like that. They have $5 in Bitcoin, not dollars. And it happened instantly. They're like, holy shit. And then you're like, hey, see, the reason I did that is you're here at this trade show. You're selling shit. All you have to do is print that out and put it down there and people can start paying you with it. That's the next Bitcoin. The next Bitcoin is the next life stage in Bitcoin that leads toward hyper-Bitcoinization. And it is a return to the evangelical nature of Bitcoin proponents not trying to sell people on buying Bitcoin, but literally saying, hey, let me give you five bucks. Let me give you a dollar. Let me give you, if it's a friend, 50 bucks. Let me come over to your house. I'll show you how it works. And once you believe me, I'll help you put it on your website. And on-chain Bitcoin transactions, as Bitcoin's price went up, these small transactions where you're willing to give somebody $5 became kind of cost prohibitive transactions. Also, you know, first generation of the tech, not not first tech, first generation of the tech. Lightning's an, an, an expansion of that, right? It was a little bit slow, 10 minutes to wait for your money. But in PayPal, I have it instantly, never mind how much you paid for it. But being able to show people that go from dollars to Bitcoin to Satoshi's, being able to show somebody, hey, look, this is how I monetize my podcast. You know, the easiest people I've onboarded in the last year have been podcasters. Look, claim your freaking podcast in Fountain and take the free Bitcoin that people will give you. Just tell people you're there on your show. Well, I won't get a lot. Okay. Doesn't mean you won't get any. Won't you try? And then also, wait a minute. This, this is awesome. The next Bitcoin is Bitcoin in the form of lightning when it comes to returning to the genesis that made Bitcoin a success in the first place. People using it, sharing it, teaching others, and yes, giving it away. And I'm telling you, you'll probably look back someday and go, you know, if I hadn't given away 300 bucks worth of Bitcoin back in 2023 and lightning payments to various people, I'd have a lot more money today. But the reality is, no, you wouldn't if no one did it. Because it's when people do it that it begins to grow and experience a network effect. So that's the next Bitcoin. And then I want to just finish with something. There's people right now, it's called ordinals or something like that. They're running basically NFTs on Bitcoin now. And the Bitcoin maxis are losing their mind. There's other tech that's being run on Bitcoin that people think don't should, doesn't belong on Bitcoin. All the maxis are. And it's again, it's all the pleb maxis that have been around for like five minutes. Uh, they got their little panties in a wad. Their little orange panties are in a wad. And no one should do this to our Bitcoin. You don't, there is no our Bitcoin. There is no, our, that's like saying our gold. You, there is no our gold as far as the totality of the gold. Gold is a thing. It exists. It requires energy and effort to acquire. And anybody who expends the energy and effort to acquire it can acquire it. And what they do with it is their business. And if you don't like it, you can saw it off. And you can cram your gold nuggets up your ass. That's how it works. That's that is a true free monetary system. The thing is, since it's metal and it's heavy and it's hard to move and it's easily detected and it takes a lot of security to move around. Gold was corrupted as a monetary instrument in an electronic age. 
Bitcoin allows that type of open monetary network to exist at the speed of light in a weightless environment where I can transact with somebody in Japan and nobody in Japan and nobody in America can do anything about it. Go screw up. Sorry, you don't like it. Tough shit. Right. That's what we have now. But what that means is that anybody can build on Bitcoin. Anybody can build on lightning and anybody saying we need to stop this or prevent this doesn't understand freedom. You didn't get through the parting of the curtain. You didn't get the orange glowing truth right. Now, if you're saying, hey, I think this is stupid and it'll fail. That's why it's good. That's why it's great to watch all these supposed use cases for altcoins to crumble to shit. To the bottom below the shit layer in the septic tank, whatever's down there, the shit slurry, to watch it all crumble away. Because most of the story that was a good sounding use case is not really a use case. There's no need for it. So if you're running shit coins, you can front end a bunch of money from stupid people and you can make a failure look like success. And you can look something, make something that doesn't do anything look like it's doing something. If you're using hard money, well, it either works or it didn't. People pay for it or they don't. People use it or they don't. So if NFTs actually have a future, and while I think there could be some use for the technology for things like records keeping and stuff like that, transference of deeds, etc., I think most of the NFT shit that's out there, and that's what this ordinal shit is, is like pictures of crap. And I own the original copy of this JPEG. And that JPEG, there's just, I'm sorry, it's still just a digital image. It's not, I don't care that you attached a token to it. It is not unique. And it never will be. It's an illusion. But if there's people are going to willingly pay for that illusion and you run it on Bitcoin, then okay, it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And the reason this is beautiful is all these shit coins that are designed to do the thing, when the thing fails, the shit coin fails. Because the only reason the shit coin existed was to do the thing. If Bitcoin is just hard money, but it's programmable money, which is what makes it really special. And somebody builds on it and the thing fails, the underlying thing, Bitcoin, Lightning, Fediment, whatever it is, any layer, doesn't give a shit. And if somebody develops a layer to do a thing and that fails and that layer dies, all the other layers in the fundamental base layer of Bitcoin don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. That's why it's a perfect system for where we are now in humanity. Because anybody can try anything and anybody can fail and you don't harm the underlying asset. FTX crumbled, billions lost in crypto, whatever. Any Bitcoin person who held their own Bitcoin didn't give two riffs of a fart when FTX fell. In fact, you know what we did? Time to double up my buys because people are stupid. Because people are stupid and because they'll, they'll react to this in a negative manner, I get to buy more Bitcoin this week. That, that's, that's what came of it. Anyway, let's hit a few of your questions. Uh, I will come back one more time as well. Everything in all caps. I'm not even sure all these are questions, just things I saw in all caps. I stumbled into alts. It's addictive. Wish I didn't. Lesson learned. Stay away from NFTs for now. K-Bonk. Yeah, K-Bonk, I agree. I, you guys that listen to me, you know I can only, I can only hammer shit corners so hard because I did it for so long and I did make money. And sometimes I made what looks like a huge amount of money. But when I go back through my records, 
the only thing I really come away with is every Bitcoin that I didn't buy when I could have, I regret. Every Bitcoin, every Satoshi that I ever spent, I regret. Every Satoshi that I ever sold, I regret. That if all I had done was buy and hold and stack sats, if that was all I had ever done, I would be far and away better off than I am today. And I'm not in bad shape. And it takes a humble heart to admit that, especially when you were as public as I was at the time I was doing all the shitcoining and making all these cases. But like I said, as I watched lightning develop, I watched the use case after use case after use case for maybe the 10% of all, that at least had a decent sounding use case fall apart and be unnecessary. One of the best use cases I had was, okay, if I'm building a website and I want people to be able to exchange value on it, integrating Bitcoin, even if you do it because people did, nobody uses it because nobody wants to spend their Bitcoin because the small transactions that you're doing are such that they are cost prohibitive or you have to become a custodian or what have you. But with Lightning, you can integrate Lightning and you don't even have to actually touch anything. Where you can have a platform with Lightning integration on it and if the government says turn it off, you're like, it's not mine. I don't do anything. I don't have any control over it. Go away. Everybody runs their own wallet. You can integrate all that shit now. Or you can integrate somebody's wallet-based solution, but it's not yours. And it's easy, and people, trust me, people use it. I, I, I am not bragging because it's not a tremendous amount of money. I'm talking quantity of transactions here. I receive thousands of transactions a day through the Value for Value podcasting network. Because one person will sit there and stream me four sats a minute, listen to, you know, an hour and so 90 sats, one sat at a time, transacting, and it just works. And so that alone, most of your use cases are gone. We have one other use case we'll get to here in a minute. Um, Grumpy Green Guy says, can Bitcoin with Lightning handle the amount of transactions that currently happen with the dollar? (sighs) Let me put it a different way. Let me put it a different way. Do we need to care about that? How long are we before the Bitcoin network needs to handle every single transaction in America? Now, the answer is, theoretically, it can handle more. But it's never been tested that far, and it requires a great deal of liquidity to be established in the Lightning Network. But this is like saying, right, so I really think it makes a good idea for you guys to put in, let's say, 150 square foot of backyard gardens. And then somebody says, well, will doing that solve the global food crisis for everybody? I don't know. I don't really care. This is a piece of what we're doing. So... This also, I smell shit corner on this, and I'm not saying Grumpy Green Guy is a shit corner, but this is a shit corner thing. It will never have enough transaction capability, and then they just pull a number out of that. We have 400 trillion gazillion transactions per millisecond that we're capable of with our shit coin XYZ. This is not a relevant thing. We, we have programmable money, so layered solutions will evolve to accommodate the need. And if we ever get, let me put it to you this way. The protocol that is lightning right now, if people decide to sufficiently capitalize liquidity on it to move money around, 
which is growing every day, and we ever get to a point where Lightning won't move all the transactions that want on the network, you won't care if you're stacking Bitcoin right now because you'll have enough money that you won't care because you're stacking Bitcoin right now. It makes me think of, the, and it's totally unrelated, but it kind of makes me think of this like you're, you're in the wrong mental state. And I'm not a religious guy, but I like my truth from anywhere I get them. So famous evangelist Billy Graham one time was asked, the guy said, my dad had a basset hound that he loved. And he, when he goes to heaven, he wants to see his basset hound. And people say that, you know, only humans go to heaven. Dogs don't, animals don't go to heaven, you know, and I don't have an answer for that. But they asked Billy Graham, they said, will my grandfather see his basset hound when he goes to heaven. And what Billy Graham said was, well, I don't know. But I know this, if it takes seeing his basset hound to be happy in heaven, then he will. And a lot of these questions about Bitcoin are that way. Like, it won't matter because to get that far, we have to go so far that we're beyond understanding what the results are for to us in the positive. Uh, EB, I've been waiting for this one. I knew it'd come up. What about the privacy concerns with Bitcoin compared to Monero? If you want to do a fully private transaction, assuming that you actually are being private with your activity on both ends of the transaction, you and the other side, you're using a VPN, you're on Tor, you have good security procedures on your own computer, because it doesn't matter you did a Monero transaction if the people you're worried about intercepting your transaction can keystroke monitor your computer. See, people don't think about that. But then, yeah, by all means, use Monero. Is Monero more private than Bitcoin? By a landslide. Does it have utility right now? Yes. Will it maintain that utility? I see full privacy coins is the last major shitcoin utility that exists. And I don't think it lasts forever. I don't think it lasts five years. I don't think it lasts five years. I think that we're moving to a point with lightning and things like Fediments where we're going to be able to create regional private interim banking to where we can have full privacy. And I think it will actually be interesting that when I start looking at how it will structure that will it will have an extremely powerful case in the United States is being protected by the Constitution. Now, a lot of things protected by the Constitution are maybe legal anyway, but it's not easy to do. And, and I'll leave it there for now. But I have no problem with Monero because it does have a utility that is not currently fully met by Bitcoin. However, I will say that this idea that everybody that looks at Bitcoin uh, blockchain in the government can tell you everybody owns like there is a lot. It is not that easy to figure out, and they are not hyper-competent. What it can't stand up against is if I go after you personally, then it's pretty easy for me to figure out most of what you have and what you own and where it came from and where it went. Now, who's on the other side of where it went? Maybe, maybe not. But it is not, it is not an analog to a CBDC because no one controls it. It's, a, it's like a living organism. Coyote Wall Street says, Jack, is Ethereum still relevant? Is SHIB just a ploy? It seems many companies are accepting it. 
Okay, so those are two totally different questions. Is Ethereum still relevant? In my opinion, is it relevant as in we need it to do something for us? No. No, it's not. It's also centralized. It is not decentralized. It is controlled by a small number of people. You do not have Bitcoin addresses. You have, or I'm sorry, Ethereum addresses. You have an Ethereum account. And if the government says shut off this account, Ethereum Foundation can and will do it. I always say if your crypto has a CEO, it is not decentralized. So Ethereum fails from the, I got a bunch more, but it fails from the, from the get go. The primary purpose of Ethereum is to spawn more shit coins to create trading smart contracts, etc. Any legitimate smart contract today, if this, then that, like collateralizing a loan can be run on Bitcoin. So it's not needed. But if you mean, is it going to die tomorrow? I do not believe so. I believe that there's at least one more major cycle for the alts. And so do with that as you see fit. But I don't think it's actually, I don't think it actually does anything for humanity. I think that Ethereum is pretty much, especially since it switched to proof of stake, Ethereum is a recreation of the fiat system because in a proof of stake network, the more money you have, the more power you have. That's, that's the issue. And so, no, I don't think it's relevant, but I think it is. Uh, Kate Bong says, Strike just published a new global terms of service. Have you reviewed it yet? No, I have not. Um, though I'm not too worried about it because again, this is, this is the thing I just try so hard to get through to people. I don't care where you buy your Bitcoin. I don't care where you buy your Bitcoin. When you buy Bitcoin for fiat, you should pretend you did a transaction at your bank. Even if it's not going to be reported, you should assume that it was. So that's gone. And as soon as the transaction clears, Class A, what do you do with it? You get it the hell off the exchange. So if their terms and conditions say we can lock your account if you fart the wrong way out of a window, I don't care because there'll never be more than one transactions in value on that platform at any given time. Because as soon as I can, and if the place won't let me do it in a reasonable amount of time or audit for, automate it for me the way that Swan does, if they won't do that, I won't buy from them. So as long as you can withdraw almost immediately, I don't care where you get it. So whatever their terms are, I don't really care. Right. Next. Uh, Pippinized. On the uh, food discussion, said stop ordering your food through a speaker. I would agree. I don't know if there's any food you can order through a speaker that actually is human food. Um, I love people like this. This guy, he says he's gone. I wonder if he really is, though. Bye-bye. Crypto is still fiat. Shit down thumb. I wonder if he knows we weren't talking about crypto. We were talking about Bitcoin. I wonder if he knows the difference. He calls himself the fourth Wiseman. Dunning Kruger. Let's read a little bit more from him. The fourth why is it? It's all still fictions and non anything. Only physical, real gold, silver commodity is mineral, really. All else is utter stupidity. Dude, utter stupidity just came in the form of things that came out of your keyboard. 
I, I don't have time to go into it today. If you can't understand how a 100% uncensorable network that allows transfer of value between individuals secured by billions of dollars worth of computers that run 24-7 for nothing other than to secure the network, then you're too stupid to learn. You are the epitome of Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity in that you are not intellectually slow, but you have been made stupid by your programming. And I'm betting this dude has a big old poster of Peter Schiff, like over, remember like in the eighties, the thing that guys would do, they put a picture of some hottie up over their, over their bed on the roof. Yeah. You guys know who you were, right? This dude has Peter Schiff up there and maybe gold member. Anyway, with that, I think we've wrapped up for today. I don't see any more questions that came in. Uh, no, I really don't see anything in all caps. So I think we've wrapped things up. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If, again, if you found this because you're into Bitcoin discussions and you're starting to ask yourself, what else is there for freedom and liberty? What else is there for building my life? At Survival Podcast, that's what we do, and that's what we've been doing for almost 15 years. The Survival Podcast has been around since June 2008. Today's episode, 3,240. In other words, like Bitcoin, we ain't going nowhere anytime soon. And so tune in and catch our other stuff. I, I did want to say something really quick. I did a show last week. It was a Bitcoin show, but it was about greenhouses and this plant called Azola and using the extra energy to mine Bitcoin. And I want to do more shows like that. So if you know somebody that's involved in a project that plugs Bitcoin into the project, but isn't necessarily just a Bitcoin thing, let them know about me. Let me know about them. Try to get them to fill out a guest form. Let's get them on it and talk about it. On that one, I like to let people say their piece and think before I object. I did one strong objection to this idea that you're going to take a greenhouse, put these ponds in it or trays and grow this plant called Azola at a high volume. Then you're going to dry it, compress it into a pellet. Then you're going to burn it. And that burning process would create biochar. So that's there. But it doesn't make sense to me overall. I think the idea has some real wheels to it. And maybe it actually does make sense. Understand my guest, the place he's from, there's not a lot of trees. There's not a lot of woody mass. It's it's the edge of tundra in, in Canada. And he's a member of a First Peoples tribe, and they're on a reservation, and they only have so many resources. So maybe maybe that does work there, but it doesn't work for me. And I'll tell you why. It's too valuable to burn it. Azola is two things before it's an energy source, in my opinion. It is a fertilizer. And it is an incredibly high quality fertilizer. And he mentioned there's agricultural systems in the Philippines that really run on nothing but Azola as a fertility mechanism. It's also feed. Dried pelletized Azola is high quality livestock feed, and it's just worth more than it is in the form of BTUs. But what if you took that model we talked about? You got a greenhouse, it's growing food, maybe it's growing medicinals like cannabis, maybe it's a straight food operation, what have you. We put in a high-end, I mean high-end, high-efficiency biochar system that makes heat, electricity, biochar, and wood vinegar, which is incredibly value in of itself. And those are all 
four things that can be used to turn the profit. And we take the Azola and we use it to make livestock feed and fertility aids, including the inoculation of the biochar itself so that we can sell the biochar into true agricultural concerns, everything from backyard gardens to farms. To me, that pencils out a lot better. And what's very exciting to me is, is how Bitcoin still plugs into that model. Very, very good. And, you know, K-Monk says, I said heat, buddy. Yeah, hot water. Like, you would heat the ponds to grow the Azola and to mitigate the temperature within the greenhouse. And instead of burning this high-quality material that you're growing that has two higher uses. See, I think a material should always be used to its highest use. So now we have, if we're going to go ahead and, and dry and pelletize Azola, maybe we grow some other things and we're creating a super high-end livestock feed. And what eats Azola? Everything we eat. Chickens, ducks, rabbits, cows, sheep, pigs, all eat Azola. Very high in protein. But the other thing that makes that I don't think necessarily work, and no no detrimental statement being made to Moses because he admitted this. He's never grown as all. I challenge anybody that thinks you can get enough volume out of this to make enough energy out of it to try it because watch what happens. If you, if you grow enough Azola to, to semi pack and fill a five gallon bucket and you dry it completely out to the state where it would be, where you'd burn it or pelletize it, it will blow you away. It will, it will fit in your two hands. If you've ever had a bunch of uh, slash from tree trimming and rented a, a chipper and we're like, well, we'll chip up all this stuff and then we'll mulch this whole garden. And then you chipped it all up and you went, well, that ain't that much. It's like that, but more so. The amount of volume of that plant that is liquid. And again, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying that the amount you'd have to grow to be self-sufficient from an energy standpoint to do all those things, I think is limited in what it can do. So, but what I love about it again is how do we take all these ideas people are having? How do we put them together? How do we make things like Bitcoin part of the equation to make them more doable and more profitable? Because I can tell you right now in that biochar world with growing in greenhouses on small farms, I know where operations are running right now that include a generator sitting there that already are making more energy than they can use. That you could walk into, set up a few ant miners, and only turn them on when the surplus energy was there. Because the heat, the more electricity you make, the less heat you get. So what if you run one of these in Texas? Right now, I want to make heat, baby. Do you think I want to make heat in May or June or July or August? So in the cold season, I make heat. And in the warm season, I use heat to cool things down. And I use surplus heat to make electricity. I use surplus electricity to mine Bitcoin. This is the type of systems thinking we need to bring to the table. And Bitcoin's the only thing that does it. You know, these types of things are being done with Bitcoin right now. The people that keep, you know, pushing their shit coins. No one's doing this with Ethereum. Who's flare gas mining with Ethereum? Who's flare gas mining with Litecoin? Who's flare gas mining? Who, who's building systems that plug into the residual waste stream of sewage treatment plants that capture the monetary value of the methane that's being burned off into our atmosphere, but is too small in quantity to be profitable to contain and do anything with?
Bitcoiners. It's the way of the future, guys. With that, hope you guys did enjoy today's show. want to remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day that I have for you. It is February. It's cold outside. It's literally my backyard is covered in ice. The dog was afraid to go out and poop today because it was so slippery. The ducks and geese were sliding around. It was funny. It's hard to get your head around that spring is coming and coming hard. But many of you have fruit trees and nut trees and other trees that need to be pruned. Maybe so you can take some of the excess mass, make biochar out of it. Who knows? And you need a good way to do that. I love my electric trimmers. I've shown you a couple different ones of those. But when it comes down to it, when it comes to pruning my fruit trees, I use 99% of the time my Felco F2 hand pruners. And I, I settled on this tool, even though it's expensive compared to competitors, because I talked to people that worked in nurseries and did this for a living. And when I said, what do you use? They all said Felco F2s. They sell for like 75 bucks. Ouch. I know that's a lot of sats, but they're on sale today for 60 bucks a pair. And this is really something that you buy once. You cry once, and if you don't take care of it, if you do take care of it and don't lose it, you never buy it again. And they just work better than everything else. I'll also give you a couple options for some less expensive stuff, but it's something to think about. I give you a link to, for the tool I use to sharpen it, a video on how to sharpen them. It's all available today at the survivalpodcast.com. You can find all my reviews of everything that I recommend at tspaz.com. Reminds you again that we are doing a workshop a week-long workshop I'm on one day of it coming not next week but the following week on what to do about central bank digital currencies. There is a link in the video notes below, and it will be in the audio notes as well. John Bush is running that from Live Free Academy. It's awesome. If you're going to sign up for it, it's free. But please use my link because if you eventually buy some, at least I get paid for it. That's one way you can help share the love. Remember that this podcast is better on Fountain. Those of you who are not following me on Twitter, you're missing out on something new I'm doing here, guys. So I'll put my Twitter handle up, the Survival Pod C. Pretty much most days I'm running a poll. And then every Monday when I do a listener feedback show, I'm going to go back into the schedule of Mondays being feedback shows. Uh, I reveal the results, what the polls were and what the results of them are. So if you want to participate, get on over there. And whatever the current thing is, the current poll, right, is at the top of my feed. I pin it to the top every time there's a new poll when the old one wears out. So please take part in that because if not, my democracy will fail. Anyway, guys, appreciate you being here today. Tune in tomorrow for an expert council Q&A show. I think you'll have a, uh, a good one if you do. And thanks for being with me today. Down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way. Show you a better way. You don't have to think another face in the crowd. You don't have to live the way they tell you to. 
revolution. 